0: What's up everyone and welcome to Look Who's Talking Mao. I am your host Chris Mowry and on today's episode I have the pleasure of being joined by a fantastic musician, Liam Kazar.
1: Hello, how's it going?
0: It's going great. He's been involved in a lot of projects like Kids These Days with Vic Mensa and Donnie Trumpet. Tweedy, which of course is Jeff Tweedy uh, from Wilco and his son Spencer. Marrow, and most recently his solo project. Uh, Liam, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to be here-ish.
0: <laughs> yeah right. Uh, we are recording this over Zoom. First time I'm doing this, so if any of the audio is weird, please bear with us. I'll try. We'll try to do our best here. Um, how have you been through all this mess that is uh, 2020?
1: It's it's uh it's been ups and downs. Yep. Honestly, I'm on the way back up currently, which is nice. But it's been certainly something to navigate on a day to day basis. So Absolutely. It, It takes up a a huge, I don't know, portion of my mind. Yes. Um, And it's, it's, you know, I've been pretty lucky though, in terms of not having too many people close to me who've been infected or who've really been struggling with it. So all in all feeling pretty okay and lucky.
0: Yeah, it's very, it comes in, it almost comes in waves where you're, you, you feel pretty good for a couple of days and then something else happens and you, you just feel awful.
1: Yeah, and the time of it comes in waves too. Time, you know, I felt like March and April were like two of the slowest months of my life. And then mm-hmm. May and June just like flew by and all of a sudden we're like well into summer. So time is getting a little confusing. A lot of things are just feeling off.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's it's odd to think that I haven't been at work in five months. Which changes on Friday and Saturday, we're doing an outdoor show down at Voltaire in the Bottoms, big parking lot that could fit about two thousand people. We're only allowing a hundred. Everybody spaced out. Those kind of things. Just kind of seeing if this is something we can do uh, to you know try to get back.
1: But, yeah, oh, you work at Voltaire?
0: Uh, no, I'm I'm actually at Record Bar. But we are like collaborating on a on a concert series called Lemonade Park and we're um, we're doing it out out there to try to test the waters and see if this is something that's viable because record bar I think I think we have stuff coming up in August but you know it's only a 400 cap venue so we'd have to take out all the tables and all that kind of stuff and and open upstairs all the time and try to keep people spaced out but it's just a lot of unknowns right now. So,
1: yeah, interesting.
0: So you're originally from Chicago. What, what brought you to Kansas city?
1: Uh, I moved to Kansas city in February of last year uh, with my partner, Tara, who runs an organization here. We moved here for her to start an organization called KC tenants,
0: KC tenants. Uh, what's the, uh, what is that uh, organization for?
1: It's a uh, community organizing, organizing low income folks around tenant power, you know, helping people learn their rights. They helped pass a bill in KC last December called the Tenants Bill of Rights, which brings all these, you know, you know, reassures all these rights of tenants and is like building, founding a uh, tenant's rights office in City Hall and stuff like that. So she's from KC and it was kind of like her coming back home to sort of start a community because she's been a community organizer for uh, maybe six years now since she got out of college and she was doing it on a national level and still is but we moved here for her to start this organization.
0: That's very cool and during this this uh, quarantine and outbreak were you were you in Chicago at all during during any of this?
1: Yeah, we went back to Chicago, both of us, we went back there for two weeks in May. By KC standards, went super hardcore on the quarantine to start out. Yep. And then we just hauled it straight to Chicago in the car, not stopping anywhere except to get gas once, and um, felt pretty comfortable about going back to see my family. Yeah. They all live in one place in Chicago. Okay. In one duplex. So I was, we were able to like go back and stay there for two weeks and it was really nice to, to go back. But um, I'm happy I'm living out here during this and not living in Chicago because it's pretty claustrophobic and scary there right now. Absolutely. The
0: one time I've been to Chicago, I was there for, um, oh God, now I can't remember, uh, Riot Fest. Mm-hmm. And we stayed in Boys Town. And I just remember it just like how on top of everyone, everyone is. And just, Mm -hmm. it was, we had to get a special sticker for the car. Like you can't park on the street unless you have this certain sticker or you'll get booted. I was just like, what is going on? I remember liquor being more expensive as well.
1: Yeah. It's funny to hear people, because I've had these, I've had similar conversations with people about Chicago since I moved to KC. Mm -hmm. And mostly the conversation starts with people who are like, where are you from? And I'm from Chicago. And they're like, why the fuck did you move here? Because <laughs> um, The answer is like, where are you? Where'd you come from? And it's like, are, you're either from Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri, or Kansas. Usually, yeah. Or whatever. That's what it seems like mm-hmm. when people find out I'm from Chicago. They're like, why
0: did you move? But it's cheaper. It's cheaper here, so it's that's interesting good.
1: Interesting <laughs> to hear to hear KC people talk about Chicago and how like claustrophobic it is, or like the, the sort of like the big city like kicking your ass sort of stuff. Because yep. that's exactly what people in Chicago do f- about New York. You know, whenever right. a friend's band comes back from New York, it's like, oh, buddy, what happened? Like, tell me all <laughs> the crazy New York tickets you got, or like, isn't parking crazy? Or every Chicago musician has their secrets for where to park the van and how to do all that navigate all that stuff and my family's from new york so i'm like i'm good at it i pride myself of being good at it but then to come to kc it's like there's there's just none of that here it's the easiest place to get around to live in and if you have a car if you don't have a car this town is tough but yeah the car it's pretty easy living here i gotta say
0: yeah, and a, a lot of uh, touring musicians and uh, production people live here. Like this is just where they call their home base because it's mm-hmm. cheap living. And if you're on the road, or when people were allowed to be on the road for most of the year, like it's just it's just easy easy living.
1: Yeah, and it's a pretty decent airport. So, uh, well, we're working on it.
0: <laughs> that rebuild. I like it. I like it. Oh, oh, you like it? I love it. I guess it's nice just to be able to get in and get out quickly. Um,
1: yeah, but, and it's like a Soviet bunker. <laughs>
0: yes, but when you go to another another city and you see an airport, you're like, "Oh shit! This is what an airport's supposed to be like." Like this is not at all what ours is.
1: Yeah, I uh, yeah. There's things I hate about it, which is how far it is that you got to buy a thirty dollar Uber to get there.
0: Right. Yeah. That's um, not. That's not great.
1: But I like that I can just show up and go to the gate. And everything's
0: fine. So I want to tell the story of how I, I found out about you uh, and all that. Yeah, um, totally. Which is kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, back in November, which feels like years ago, I saw uh, you open up for OM, which is your sister Seema and Macy Stewart's band from Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you got up and you said something to me, something to the effect of, I'm from Chicago, but just recently moved to Kansas City. Then you started playing and I'm like, well, this guy isn't just some random dude from Chicago who just got stuck on as an opener. This guy is incredible. Your songwriting chops were just different. Like, I don't know really how to explain it except for like, I was like, oh, this guy is like, this guy's writing is crazy. Like, what's going on here? So as you're playing, I'm just immediately starting to internet creep and try to figure out who you are. (laughs) I I do this when I'm at work because I like to have some sort of Knowledge of who the artists are that are playing, and if I enjoy them, I want to start following them.
1: It's a nice way of saying the show wasn't that packed. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't super busy or anything like that. But it's—I'll—I'll—I'll uh, I'll, I'll sometimes do it during busy shows as well. But I figured out through Instagram and stuff that you had played with Jeff Tweedy and Daniel Johnston, and I was like, okay, this guy's a some sort of session musician or mercenary or something like that. Like we get a lot of those that come through that. You're like, holy shit, you're amazing. What do you do? And they're like, oh, I play uh, keys for blah, blah, blah. And I was excited because I was like, oh, well, this got to be a great addition to the, the music scene here in Kansas City. I messaged you a few times saying if you need help locally to let me know those kind of things because I'm listening to the music a lot. And I'm rewatching this Instagram video all the time that you played. That is not a song that you have reco- Well, you have it recorded, but it's not out to the world, unfortunately. But I'm also listening to the song you did with Intellectual uh, Pop Star featuring Benny Sings, which I think Benny just had like one of the best records of last year. It's just incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, oh, he's got some really, really great connections. Nothing to you uh, was a song I was listening to a lot, the fantastic acoustic song on a compilation uh, called So Many Singing. It was—is that a benefit of some kind in Chicago?
1: Yeah, I think it benefits. Uh, I'm forgetting. It it, it certainly benefits uh, some organization in the in the immigrant movement. Okay, I gotcha. get exactly. Who?
0: Gotcha. And there was just this like familiarity to your voice that I just couldn't place. And uh, so then one day my, my girlfriend Devin, and I are driving to Lawrence to visit her family, and the song "Darling" by Kids These Days comes on my Spotify shuffle, and it clicks. And I scared I scared the shit out of Devin. I was just like, holy shit, that's Liam. And she's like, what? And I'm like, Liam, the guy, the, the songs I've been playing recently, that's, that's him. He's in this band. <laughs> and she's like, oh, okay. Like just not understanding why that's a big deal. Um, so I was, I was excited because I, you know, I've been listening to kids these days for years. I unfortunately did not see you guys when you played in Kansas City at middle of the Map Fest.
1: That's right, we did play there.
0: Yeah, um, I unfortunately missed that uh, show. I think I actually discovered you guys after the fact. Mm. Which is usually how my musical taste works. <laughs> I'm like,
1: oh, I, also I really played Prince about five times, but yeah. you
0: played what's that? Played Lawrence
1: about five times.
0: Oh, you played Lawrence. Oh, the yeah, Kyle's Town, of course. I think
1: we only played KC once.
0: Yeah. So I've always been fascinated with this band because you guys were kids, you guys were teenagers, um, yeah. and I just kind of want to, if if you would, just kind of like let us know, like how this came about who was involved, how you guys came together.
1: Uh, well, first of all, thanks for such a delightful recap of like, <laughs> and a delightful recap of our first interaction with each other. But kids these days, uh, what was the question? How did we
0: meet <laughs> just Yeah, just part? like how, how, I guess you guys were like 15 or 16 at the time. Like how, how do you guys form? Is it eight people? Or how many people were in the band?
1: It was eight. It became seven. Okay. Um, it's
0: still a very large band for a high school band, but it, yeah, it, it, and it's fun. and it's an inc- incredibly talented group. So I'm just trying to figure out exactly how it came to be, and and all that.
1: Yeah. Well, the the truth of it is, you know, and I wanted. I used to like maybe when I was young, when I was like maybe 20 or something like that, and people would ask me like, what was how did kids these days meet? I'd sort of shy away from the amount of like special music education we had all received. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, we had, you know, like maybe, uh, you know, didn't want to talk about how much of like jazz nerds and all that we were. Um, I mean, it's pretty clear <laughs> if, <laughs> if you listen cool. to the
0: music, but.
1: Well, you want, when you're like a, a young band, you want to seem like, you know, you're like the Beatles and you just like, eh, we just figured it all out on our own. Nobody helped us. We did it all ourselves. Right. Which is absolutely not true. The truth of it is, is that everyone in that band um, knew each other through music programs, through Chicago public schools. Okay. Um, We were all, we all got uh, a huge amount. uh, This Vic, maybe the least of us, but he was still in choir in uh, at high school. So, Macy, Nico, who's formerly known as Donnie Trumpet, uh, mm-hmm. Vic, and I, we all went to high school together at Whitney Young in Chicago. Okay. And I met Nico through Jazz Combo there, and through Nico and I did this thing called Gallery 37, and my friend Lane, who i was the bass player in the band who I grew up with i've known i've been playing music with Lane since I was twelve uh and he plays on my all my solo music now oh awesome and He went to gallery thirty seven as well which was like uh, a jazz program we would do uh for school credit. We would leave school every day at noon and go study like jazz music with professional musicians in Chicago for two hours for instead of doing some other credits that we probably should have been doing yeah i don't, I don't really know how it worked but ju- I, I was just psyched that junior senior year i got to leave school at noon every day <laughs> that um, sounds awesome and then jp who was the trombone player in that band we met through a jazz program called Ravinia uh dr- greg the drummer who's now chance the rapper's drummer we met him through Merritt school of music which was another like free program that we got because of so we were getting all of this amazing like musical education and we were meeting like all of the serious musical kids in the city. And uh, I really don't know what I would be saying to like, younger kids who are coming up now because almost all those programs are gone now. Yeah. It's really sad. Uh, Gallery 37 is not there, which was the sort of pet project of Maggie Daly. Mayor Daly's uh wife and after she passed okay. they just sort of slashed it and got rid of it all oh, that's awful uh and there was great program it was like there was like comedy there was like computer design stuff there was so it was this school downtown and that was really cool so yeah the truth of it is we all came together because we were all music nerds you know most of us went to one school half of us went to one school and we in the same grade and Nico and Vic knew each other from grade school. Lane and I knew each other from grade school. But then it was also, it was just a, a, a formation. Nico pretty much, Nico and Lane and I pretty much put together the band in like a weekend of like, Lane texting me saying, let's start a band. And Nico, me immediately bringing in Nico because he was my best friend and then I think I went out of town, and for the weekend. And by the time I came back for the weekend, Lane and Nico had put together the rest of the whole band. And they'd invited everybody to like one rehearsal, and except for one person who didn't end up staying in the band past that one rehearsal, that was the band. That's wild. <clears throat> so for when jam- did you not rehearsal? But
0: yeah. yeah, when did you guys realize you guys had something like it was something different and special?
1: You know, I my sister had been playing in bands in high school. I had already had another, like, rock band that Lane was in, the bass player. He played drums in that band, though. I had already been playing shows around Chicago a bit. Mm-hmm. And then we put together one show in, like, the upstairs of this bar. And, like, it it just was packed. And it was like, okay, that's like definitely the most people we've ever, I've like been like, it, I'm, I've am i been playing maybe for like a year now or two years now and like had a few gigs and like pulling teeth, trying to get people to come. And then we did this one show and it was like immediately 200 people showed up or something like that. And I, a lot of that is I uh, attribute to Vic being he had this like immediate magnetism to him as a kid, as just like whenever you, you always knew Vic had like, and he had this drive to like, he told, you know, printing flyers and like telling everybody to come to the show and telling people you're going to love this shit. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I think Nico and Vic really got the ball rolling for people coming to shows and then we just kept doing shows and it was just, it just kept being like, the biggest shows any of us had ever done. And it was, I don't know, it just sort of, it really, it happened really quickly. Yeah, and our junior year, we were, by junior year of high school, we were, you know, flying to LA a few times on the weekends to go play at label things and stuff like that. Yeah, so, and I
0: was, I was gonna ask you, were you guys getting a lot of uh, label attention there? When, I guess this would be before the first, the first EP? Or is that like kind of after the first EP you guys, you guys had?
1: Uh, all uh, this, like, I don't really yeah. know where it was in the timeline with the EPs, but definitely while we were still in high school, I remember we did, we went to LA to do some, like, uh, I don't know what you call them, but playing for a label things Showcase. Showcase. Thank you. <laughs> we did some showcases and one of them was on a Sunday and it was an evening on a Sunday. So we all took a red eye back from LA and arrived in Chicago. And when uh, Macy, Vic, Nico and I took a cab from the airport directly to class <laughs> and came with our like suitcases and our gear. And by this time, you know, our teachers sort of knew that we were doing all this sort of shit. We had missed a week of school to go to South by Southwest and all this stuff. and And then we just, I think Nico and I just like put our suitcases in the corner and just slept during the whole class. The teacher was pretty nice to us. That's great, yeah. Yeah.
0: Now the first EP sounds kind of, I'm adding questions in here to the notes as as we're going, but I kind of figured this would happen. Um, That's the point, right? Right, exactly. That first EP is very, like kind of funky and bluesy. Whereas the second one, Trap House Cuts, kind of takes a, not a complete like different direction, but it definitely is different. what, what can you attribute
1: that to? Well, Greg, the drummer, his dad really produced the first EP. Okay. Not in terms of necessarily like, you know, Vic always did his thing. He was always clear on what he wanted to do, but Greg's dad really directed... You know the sessions with the bands and made it pretty glossy and he's like an r&b r&b guitar player so he kind of and you know we were using his friend's studio and they and we had no studio experience and we just sort of did what he told us yeah (laughs) and then on uh trap house cuts as it's called on spotify but the whole album was like a a twelve-song album. That's none of that's not the whole thing is on Spotify. But that was called Trap House Rock. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know where that is. I don't know how you find the whole album. You can't uh, talk
0: to you can't talk to Jeff about that. Wouldn't Jeff have uh, it? You, he would have no idea. He oh, has really? That. Oh, um, really? Because so on Wikipedia it says that Jeff Tweedy uh, produced that record.
1: Half of it. Okay. Yeah, half of it. But that was just like. I mean that was the very beginning of that record we spent another year going to three different studios to, uh it's a whole I have no the the kids these days discography people know very little about what's going on with it or where everything is or it's yeah. it's it's clouded in lots of smoke and haze
0: wow so I was Smoking there I, I ended up I was. this is the most research I've ever done on a podcast because usually it's like local musicians that I know a little bit better that I can I know a little bit about where they recorded or what they did all these kind of things so I I I dove deep so there was like mm. some YouTube video of a producer I wish I could remember his name but he like dissected don't harsh my mellow and he was like this is how we recorded this this is what we did yeah I can't remember his name now, uh, but I was like, is this the, the I thought it was Jeff. Uh, so yeah, I just, I was so, it seems like there's all these different stories to just this one album that you guys were, were, were trying to create. There are, there yeah.
1: are. We recorded <laughs> that album in four different studios with three different producers and, you know, our, our four producers, if you include one of them being us. Yeah. Yeah, because I was
0: shocked. That was something shocked to see that Jeff Tweedy produced that record and hearing Don't Harsh My Mellow. I was like, there's no way Jeff Tweedy did that. No, he did
1: not. <laughs> I could, I could, if, if you had the track listing, if I had the track listing in front of me, I could tell you which ones we did with him. And yeah, but he, 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 we started the record with him. We started yeah. the record with him. We did about, I would guess maybe five of the songs off the record with him.
0: How did that come about? Is that like kind of label intervention, or did you guys just uh, know him? Uh,
1: so I knew him. I've, I'm I'm I've been very close friends with his son Spencer since we were kids. We grew up in the same neighborhood. Oh, cool. And uh, my father, my father, when I was in high school, worked in D.C. Uh, for the Obama administration. Okay. And uh, a few times my mom would go out to D.C. and live with him for a little while. And when she would, I would go and live with the Tweeties. They were just close friends, close family friends. And when I would do that, it was kind of right when the KTD like plane was taking off. And he was just a, a close friend and would give us some advice and stuff. And then eventually he just invited us to come to a few days at the studio. I think we did three days, uh, just as a a friend, totally just said, come by, let's record at the studio. And he, we did that. I think we did two songs in the first session and it went well and he, and then I think we came back and did another like seven days. And that was all just him being a nice, you know, trying to help out uh, a new band navigating its way. He knew that we were dealing with all these like weird label deals, 360 deals that we were like feeling. And we had this weird manager situation. He just knew that we were already like things were getting weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think he just like brought us in and tried to remind us why we're doing it, which is to make interesting music. Yeah. And that's great too.
0: Cause yeah, I can only imagine what's going on. With but how so? When when Trap House Rock is happening? How old are you guys?
1: Eighteen.
0: Okay, so yeah, you're eighteen years old. You're getting all types of label attention, and you already have a manager at this time. That's you know, that stuff can get weird. I I always like to think we're I think like we're what- in the
1: process of getting rid of our first manager and starting to and beginning the process of looking into getting another manager. Yeah. When I yeah. was doing
0: management and, and booking and stuff, it was always like, I just love this music and want to get it out to as many people as I can. Right. But I know that's not the goal or motivation for most managers. Um, so I know that can get very weird and, and sketchy at times.
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think we were just a, you know, it was just a, we were a seven headed monster. We truly yeah. were, you know, which is, and I don't say monster cause we were all insane. It's just that we were all, it was truly a band sort of run by seven, 18 year old kids.
0: Yeah. Which is insane. And I'm sure, I'm sure at 18, there's egos fly in and there's all sorts of, there's no way that that could just be the most like cohesive group. I mean you're all 18 years old so even though you're all incredibly talented and go on to do a bunch of other things I'm sure that it couldn't have all been um sunshine and rainbows during that time.
1: Uh no but all in all it was pretty it was Posit- positive when, when we were at, I think our best times when we were just on the road playing shows. That was a, I think us at our our uh, our best when we weren't thinking about the the future, or we weren't trying to like, reconceive what it means, what an album is, or like doing all this, when we were just playing shows, I think uh, it was very simple. And I think we, we all sort of locked into that. Because when you're on the road, you're not thinking about anything, you're just trying to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, you're trying to not lose your voice, you're trying to not die, because you've got to drive to the next gig. I mean, especially at that age, un- all of us had only been driving for two years and you've got like a van and trailer and you're going from San Diego to New Hampshire. In yeah. And 30 shows, so, or four weeks and 30 shows. Uh, so yeah, just stuff like that. I, we, that was where, that was, you know, we were really good at that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you, speaking of that, do you have any funny stories from the road that you can tell without getting anybody in trouble?
1: <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of like really funny ones. I mean... I mean, they don't even have to be funny. They could
0: just be you're on the road and at a show somebody shows up that you're just like floored by or, or whatever. Some, some, uh, some somewhat fun story from uh, those times.
1: Well, the tour that I just mentioned when we were going from San Diego, to New Hampshire, that was us opening for uh, this guy Asher Roth. Oh, he I was, remember
0: Asher. He's the... Uh, was he the college guy?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, we loved, he was really nice to us. I really enjoyed him. And there's actually a few people in his band that like we're still still in touch with today here and there. But one show I, from that that I remember was, I think it was, yes, it was our show in Danbury, Connecticut. And we were, it was a show put on by like this college, like student union or something like that. And so, and like we're 18, maybe 19, I don't know, something like that. And it's put on by all these like kids. But we were, we felt like, you know, we were the, like we had, we had, we were being very professional. We got to the venue at the right time and we had all of our gear and like we knew what we were doing. And these kids who were our age had like we're not at the venue. They didn't have any microphones. They didn't oh, have, shit. and, and, um, and so we were all, all already, and this was like, again, this is in Danbury, Connecticut. The tour started in San Diego. So we're already like well into this tour. And then we show up and we waited like two hours for them to get to the venue. Uh, we're in Danbury, Connecticut, where there's like nothing to do. Um, we are broke. So we're really counting on green room snacks to like fill us up for meals and we get there and these kids don't really have any sound equipment they're trying to do this show like super on the cheap so one of the kids is like sound guy um and doesn't know what they're doing and eventually like later on we get these like microphones and one of them's like a radio shack mic like super plastic dinky thing and that ended up being my mic there was like one good mic and it was like okay well that has to go to Vic. um and i was i was totally fine with like getting the shitty mic uh i already played a show earlier on in this tour tour facing the wall because we were (laughs) just a terrible terrible venue Uh, i played in the corner and faced the wall and uh i when we got on stage i my mic was like breaking down and I just lost it. I like, I really, I really lost my mind. I was like, this fucking mic sucks. And I just like grabbed the mic and started like bashing it on the drum riser. And then I took it and just started walking around in the audience singing my part. And Vic and Greg were just screaming, laughing because I think I was, I was always like the late night driver, like doing the graveyard shift. So I always had to like keep my shit kind of like right while everyone would do, I don't know, like weird fun drugs or something like that. And I would like take us to the hotel after the show. So great, I was great. rarely, I was very re- rarely the one like, I was rarely the unhinged one. But like just this got to me and I like, I broke the microphone. I was just running around. I think I took my shirt off. And then after the show, <laughs> it was like snowing outside and. Uh, we threw a party in the alley behind it with like all the three bands, and I got on top of Asher's Sprinter and started like dancing on top of his Sprinter.
0: Nice, um, that is a good story. That's
1: a good tour story. Tour story. It,
0: yeah, I had a we had a similar thing in um, Austin. Uh, this this co op there that used to be incredibly famous for hosting shows. It was called Twenty First Street Co op, and. Like Stevie Ray Vaughan had played there, Andrew W k had played there like mm-hmm. it was it was a a really fun spot to go and play when you're in Austin for South by Southwest so I remember this. this is a great place, awesome place. so I try to set up a little showcase there, and I do, and then we get there, and there's just like nothing. they don't have anything, so we're mm-hmm. like trying to like Frankenstein shit together. They're mm-hmm. like, yeah, we don't really have any mic stands, so guys are like grabbing sticks and like duct taping them together to try to fashion my stand luckily i was working with great musicians who were like all right we can make this work let's just work our asses off for two hours to figure this out and then then we'll still have the show but yeah that's working with uh college kids isn't always the best idea when they're the ones hosting the show.
1: At the same time, I think kids these days best shows were probably college shows. Oh yeah, absolutely. I would think so. I mean, when it's, when it, when you have, when you're able to put on the show, I think maybe that actually had something to do because it was like, it was one of our best crowds too, attendance wise on the tour kids knew our music. And then it was just like, just technically it was, we just couldn't put on a show. Yeah, it's just a nightmare. Our horns didn't have any microphone. You know, it was, it was, I, and I, again, I was like 21 days into this tour. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I've, I, I kind of lost my shit a little bit. I broke a Radio Shack microphone. I'm sorry. It's fine. They,
0: they, they didn't miss the $10 or whatever it was. Um, why did the band decide to go their separate ways?
1: It really sort of began, I think, with, um, with me, Vic had already started working on his next project, Internet Tape, which became Internet Tape. Mm -hmm. And I remember listening to it and thinking, that shit is really good. Yeah. I still think it's really, really good. And we were doing, like, these shows, and I could just see how, like, stifled Vic was by having to, like, Come in, do his thing for sixteen bars, and then let the rest of this giant band take over for like five minutes. And then when mm-hmm. I heard like, all the music that Vic was making, I was like, "Man, Where's is like really." It just didn't make sense to me as like what I at the like what I would need to do to like help him because he's he seemed to me to be so much stronger. Uh, on his own. I liked, I liked what he was doing in on internet tape way better than I liked what um, he was doing in a band because I think he wasn't able to You know, take it to insane places because he right. just starting to get it running. It's like, all right, time's up. Time for yeah. a, a, a Instrumental solo or something. Yeah,
0: yeah, you kind of notice in in his um, in his lyrics that he really starts to get going near the end of the bars and mm-hmm. so he'll uh, man i i can't remember i'm trying to remember specific lyrics but he'll just like start going off and then he's done and then he's got to go like now it's the trumpet solo or the or yeah. um your part or Macy's part or something like that right um,
1: exactly yeah and i mean that that's sort of what i told him when i first when i first asked Tim to like come sit down with me i was like i just feel like i said i'm getting in your way but what i really felt was like everyone in the band is, is getting in your way a little bit. And it was really when I heard his solo music for, cause he actually had already had some solo music. Um, but in that tape was like, he was just starting to get his sound together for that and to getting those songs together. And I was like, I'm like, I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of miserable trying to like write songs that I would never like want to write, you know, like, the, the music that I was gr- gravitating towards really had nothing to do with kids these days. And I, I felt like I was really like alienated in the music that I liked. And I was like trying to think of like songs that the rest of the band would like. And as, as I've come to find out other points in my life, writing for other people, uh, as opposed to writing for yourself, some people can do it, but I can't do it. I have to write yeah. for myself. And that's really what I was doing if I was ever writing something for KTD, I was writing it for other people. And a lot of times I think it was just off the mark. I was writing something that I thought other people would like, and they kind of didn't, you know? Um, I did. (laughs) I liked it. uh, Um, And once I, yeah. So once I heard Vic's thing, I was, I was convinced. I was like, this dude needs to be doing his thing. He knows exactly what he should be sounding like. He knows exactly where he's going. And I don't see a place for me in it.
0: Yeah,
1: collaborated since then on his thing, and I I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to help him do his thing. Did you just but... come
0: in and play guitars on stuff, or what? What did you do?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's
0: awesome. I was going to ask you because this is like sort of going in an opposite direction. There is a song that's on YouTube that uh, has a music video for it that I can't find anywhere else. The one uh, where it's using "Where Is My Mind," I think. Yeah. Yeah, what it, was that supposed to be on Trap House Rock or what? It is. Oh, it is okay.
1: it, it's just not in the Spotify thingy. Right, right,
0: it's not there. Or, yeah, because even when you, I think even on the Wikipedia, it just says Trap House cuts. It doesn't say Trap House Rock. It doesn't
1: say yeah, that. Yeah, I think, think it's crazy. because of the term that our lawyer at the time called what we were doing, which I, we called it live sampling or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, interpolation, interpolating. That's what we were doing technically, legally. Yep. And I don't think it ever got cleared with any of the streaming platforms. So mm. I have no idea how people can find all of Trap House Rock. I don't know. I don't even know how I could listen to all of it. Um, but that's... Hey, maybe I mean, when
0: you put this out there and you share this, somebody will be like, hey, I have this piece, this piece, and this piece. And then somebody else is like, oh, I have this.
1: Yeah. Who knows? I mean, one day, one if one of the people who's got a lawyer on retainer wants to go down that rabbit hole, they can try and figure it out. But I, uh, a We're few good. of us in the band, people take turns in the band trying to figure out where everything went and nobody can really figure it out, so.
0: That's unfortunate. Now, all of you guys have gone on to do uh, some great stuff, but what, what are you most proud of in your time with kids these days?
1: I, I think people would be a little surprised For me to hear this but i really think ktd served its purpose Mm -hmm. which is that i don't think a lot of i think i know i shouldn't say that i i think it really like emboldened a lot of kids of our generation and a little bit younger to go for it you know in the in the whole citywide music community from kids our age and a little bit younger, Uh, I mean, I remember having that conversation with Chance. You know, he was, he, when we, we both graduated at the same time and he did like one year of college while we were doing all this stuff. And he was in college just like, I know I can do what these guys are doing. I'm going to do it. And obviously he's the most prime example, but it, it just, yeah, I think there was something about like these kids went to like the same schools as us they did a lot of the same shit, and they just sort of went for it. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for it too. Yeah. I think that's our lasting, our lasting contribution to the music scene. I couldn't name exactly who all the people were, but I think it, 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 it helped a lot of people, and myself included. It helped a lot of people be like, you know what, uh, go for it.
0: I was thinking about it too when, when I was doing all this research and going through, like. I clicked on save money and like started looking at what save money was and all these kind of things. And it also said like related artist Saba. And I was like, I wonder if Saba listened to, listened to kids these days and like got inspired by it. Cause he's, he's just a kid too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I won't say who is
0: and right. Right. And didn't, you know, yeah.
1: I, but I, I suspect that we were certainly uh, a something to look towards of like, you know, obviously it didn't, uh, it can go any which way from there, but it, I think it, it, I would guess that it, it maybe gave people the courage to give it a shot.
0: Yeah. Came to find out also in my research for this episode that Macy from Ohm was playing keys and singing kids these days and I just completely missed it when they were there would have said something if I, if I would have noticed or remembered, yeah. but you Macy and Lane, from Kids These Days, started another project called Marrow, uh, which I just discovered, but I really love Mother of Maladies. Can you kind of? This is like such a departure from from what uh, Kids These Days was doing. Uh, it's got it's kind of mathy and experimental. And I just kind of wanted to know uh, more about that group and how that formed.
1: That was directly after Kids mm-hmm. These Days. I mean, yeah. I think KTD broke up in um, like May ish of 2013. And that Tune Mother Melodies came out like September of twenty thirteen. So we just spent that summer like sort of running away from everything and just playing a bunch of music together. And um, started that band. uh, which was really fun. And that was you know, that's sort of what I'm I, I meant when it was like it was becoming increasingly isolating or alienating. Thinking about the music that I was interested in while being in that band and trying to like make music for that band. So I had, you know, a lot of songs, you know, it was kind of like a George Harrison Beatles situation where you had like all these songs piled up from being in this band that you couldn't do anything with or something like that. So I'd had 20 or 30 songs that I just, you know, KTD had nothing to do with them. You know? right. When we were in kids these days, it really felt like we had to be doing that one hundred percent of the time, which obviously I don't think was necessarily true. And as we learned from Vic, it wasn't it wasn't true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's sort of how things go.
0: And were you guys were you writing some of that stuff while you were still in kids, or or was it just kind of after the fact?
1: Yeah, while still in. I really
0: love that stuff. Uh, I'm I'm big on on mathy, weird kind of experimental things. So that was right up my alley. So I watched like yeah, the exactly. audio. Casey wrote that song. Um,
1: I one of her first songs that she came in with, and uh, I still I remember learning that song and being like, I have no idea how this song works, but I like
0: it. it totally does. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's not like a normal normal thing. It's it it goes some
1: places. I really enjoy
0: it. Yeah, um, I'm
1: I'm I'm pretty good at you know you can call changes out to me and all that sort of stuff I'm pretty good but I remember there's something that I needed I'd be like okay I just need to just show me this one and then, and also with like my harmony part that I would sing with her, I was like I don't know why I don't know what I'm doing but yeah and <laughs> I can do it and
0: she's also a violinist now is that
1: correct guitar violin phenomenal keys player she can sing uh, she's she was KTD's secret weapon for sure yeah there's no the idea People, yeah. and she, she's been on more records than anybody, probably in all of Chicago. I think to, Macy's probably performed on more records in Chicago than anyone in the last five years anyone
0: Wow, I know doesn't
1: that session
0: work I know that when we do end up reopening at record bar, I saw that ohm was confirmed for some some ways out, uh, but they'll be coming back again uh, which i'm I'm more excited now that I've dug into a lot of that music but and I guess you could already sort of answered this but how did you uh, become involved in touring with Tweety?
1: That was through Jeff. I mean yeah. I just one day Jeff asked me to come by the studio and listen to his new album mm-hmm. which was Tweety Suki Ray and said he's thinking about sort of taking this album on the road with Spencer. And they needed to fill out the band a little bit. And um, uh, so that's that's how it went.
0: Yeah. And through this, you got to play with Daniel Johnston on his live album, Chicago 2017. What was that experience like?
1: That was a pretty magical Three days. Uh, It took a lot, a lot of work. I mean, we played maybe 15 songs ish, Mm. but we all learned about 30. Yeah. And to learn 30 songs for two shows, you don't do that for like, uh, I mean, I do it because I I love learning songs, (laughs) but like, it's hard to get people to like commit to like, okay, you're going to play this one time. Right gonna take you two weeks to learn how to do it so it was a lot of work but it was a great challenge and it was also like it was great to navigate his music because jeff picked all the songs that we were gonna learn and it was great to like he has tons and tons of songs picked from right it was great to like navigate his repertoire through jeff's preferences
0: yeah like his curation
1: His curation, that was like fascinating. And when we came in, you know, all we got was like the songs, you know, it's just like a, a list of like, learn these songs. And so you spend two weeks about learning them. And that, I remember also that gig was a big deal for me because I was playing exclusively keys and in Tweety, like, or in Jeff's bands, you know, like the keyboard is not the... You know, Jeff doesn't play keys, so it's not, it's never really the focal point. It's its often like an added color on the side, mm-hmm. something like that. And But in Daniel Johnson's music, like the keys are like, that's what he plays for like over half of his songs. It's him and a keyboard. So it was like the first time where I was like really, they were really, really like depending on me in a, the band was. And so I was excited for that. I was excited to, like, learn my shit and, like, really have my shit, you know, have it together and be able to, like, take anything that came my way. And so then finally when we got there, we did, like, a couple rehearsals with just the band without Daniel because he was just coming in day of the show. And it was exactly what we thought it was going to be, which is that he just starts singing and you, like, just follow him. Yeah. And like he might do it in a wrong key. And a lot of those songs start with like me following him until he gets enough of a rhythm going mm-hmm. for Spencer to pick up on. And then Spencer kicks, sort of would kick the band in. And it was kind of fun. It was like the first time where the two kids, because the band is like Jeff, our friend James Elkington, and Darren Gray, who are all, you know, 40 to 50 range and then the two kids it was kind of like our our gig to sort of like to sort of um, I don't know be in the hot seat a little bit yeah because with Tweety Jeff's always the one in the hot seat right you know right Uh, and I I I was really excited to do those shows and and Daniel was really nice and I think impressed with the band because Jeff had us like really fine-tuned ready to go he really knew what he wanted. He had a whole concept for what he wanted the shows to be. And and I think he was really, I think Daniel was really impressed. And then he was drinking about 12 cans of Cokes and smoking a pack of cigarettes on the stage all day, which was hilarious. Yeah. And at one point during one of the shows, he wanted to light up, but didn't have a lighter. And somebody was like gonna pass him a lighter and he was sitting and couldn't really get up and Jeff was like hesitant to like get the lighter and I just like ran around and did it. And, uh, and it was, <laughs> it's funny. Jeff was like, Oh, Ooh, Oh, I don't know if we should. Okay. Cause it's like a union stage. You know, you don't know what you can and can't do But I was like, Daniel right. Johnson, they're just gonna let him do it. Yeah. They're they going to let him do it. It doesn't matter. Yeah.
0: Let's talk about your, uh, your solo stuff. Your single shoes too tight. It gives me some, real serious Harry Nielsen vibes. I don't know if that's what you were going for, but when I heard it, I was like, holy shit, this sounds like if Nielsen wrote a song yesterday. <laughs> Can you tell me about uh, how it came to be and, and what the song is about? Because what I thought it was about was not correct.
1: <laughs> what do you think it was about? I thought it was about homelessness
0: or like a, a homeless man. Just my, uh, uh,
1: my partner would love if you were correct. I oh. mean, if, that, if that's what it means to you, that's totally fine.
0: Um, well, I just heard, you know, I just heard the, uh, now I'm completely blanking on the lyrics, the standing on the side of the road, yeah. Um, lose a buck to make a dime, all those kind of things, just, just right. for an hour of your time. To me, that meant, you know, crushing Coke cans too, I think is a part of that.
1: Yeah, crushing Coke cans and shoes.
0: I mean, yeah. Now you're kind of convincing me. <laughs> but you wrote the song, so that's that's not it, but.
1: That song, the words got just, were kind of like waxed on, wax off style. Like mm-hmm. it really, it's pretty collagey the way those came together. That mm-hmm. was like a few things taken from like, uh, or a few like images from like a book that I was reading combined with combined with this other just sort of like free form writing that I'd done and I sort of just combined the two. What was and, the book? Uh, it was a Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. Okay. And it was actually this terrible, terrible English translation from like the 60s <laughs> and it had all like, you know, it was like, you know, it was Crime and Punishment. So it's like in like Moscow and St. Petersburg and shit. And there's people being like, all right, chaps, how are we doing? You know, stuff like <laughs> that. They're very British. Yeah. And lots of like British-isms. Mm-hmm. And it, it Like pissed me off because I later read an incredible, I've just since read other translations that are done really, really, really well. And I realized like when I was maybe 400 pages into the book, how terrible of a translation that I was currently reading, which pissed me off. But um, that song, uh, to me, it's about sort of what I've, you know, condensed it as being to me. It's about lost time and lost chance, sort of, and reconciling that a little bit. You know, wasting your time and wasting your opportunity and sort of trying to just soak that feeling in and then move on and stay present where you're at, at the moment. But that, that song was, the lyrics were to a different song and then I just took them again and sort of rearranged them. And, because I, I really made the instrumental first. I oh, okay. needed some lyrics on top. Because it was just a groove. The whole song is just one chord sequence that I liked. Um, taken from a jam session I did with Spencer Tweedy. And um, I liked it enough that I felt like I should make it in the song. So I took some lyrics from a song that I hated and reworked them and put them on top of that.
0: Well, I think it came out great. And it seems to be getting a pretty good reception. Uh, A lot of other artists and things are sharing it. So, um, yeah, a lot more.
1: I did a a lot more than I was expecting. A lot more than I was expecting.
0: That's great. That's awesome. What can you tell me about the music video concept? Because it's kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, uh, so... That was kind of me trying to Venn diagram two big influences on me, which is uh, earlier this year, I was doing this David Bowie show Mm -hmm. in Chicago, which was like a stage show uh, that was entirely instrumental and just had a bunch of his music. And so last year, I was just researching a lot of David Bowie stuff, getting ready for that. I I was the musical director for that. And so I was paying attention to a lot of Lindsey Kemp stuff, who was his mime teacher. Hmm. I studied mime in the late 60s, but we did. And his teacher was Lindsay Kemp. And I'm also simultaneously, like, uh, sort of my foundational influence, one of my big foundational influences is uh, Frank Sinatra. OK. So I kind of, the video to me, was Lindsey Kemp opens up for Frank Sinatra in Las Vegas in, at the Sands Hotel. To me that's what I was trying, that's like what inspired it and then we obviously just took it from there to turn it into something that we could actually film.
0: Oh very cool, that's very cool. Um, is there plans for an album anytime soon or did everything kind of get put on hold uh, with the ongoing There's pandemic?
1: Definitely plans for some more singles. Uh, I've already shot Uh, another music video and I have two more singles kind of ready to go and I'm figuring out how I'm going to release them. And that's as far as the plan is I have an albums, I have an album recorded. It's not mixed. It's not mastered. It's not, uh, I haven't figured out a way to put it out or anything, but I have an album, but I I'm definitely putting out two more singles this year. Cool. That's awesome. Can't wait for those. Yeah. Let's go ahead and get to these.
0: I usually do five questions at the end of the show just to kind of close everything out. But I may change one here since you said earlier that you're not uh, sure what advice you'd give to to young musicians now. But if you could write a song with anyone in the world, who would it be and why?
1: Um,
0: they could be living or dead. Let's go with that too. Living or dead?
1: Yeah. I think I'd. I think I'd probably say. Uh, let me think if I if I really would say this. I w- okay, this is kind of the the answer. Okay, I would I would really love to try and write a song with slash for uh, Nat King Cole. Ooh, cool!
0: That's a really good answer.
1: He's my favorite singer, and I love that collaboration between like sort of American song, but those writers. With, with, you know, the crooner singers of that era. And I, I, yeah, I would love to try and write a song. I don't know if he did any writing, but he's a phenomenal musician. Yeah. Uh, he's a great, great piano player and he's probably my favorite singer. Uh, I would love to, yeah, Nat King Cole probably.
0: That's a really good answer.
1: Or Chuck Berry. Or Chuck Berry. Yeah, also a huge show. I, I think he's genius.
0: He's had some nasty things come up about him in his old age, but um, oh yeah, no, truly. Yeah, I was awful. reading about him recently.
1: I was just reading about him recently. That's the thing. I don't know. I don't know much about Nat King character, but I know Chuck Berry has some very awful aspects to his character.
0: It's uh, it's it's really sad when all of our heroes turn out to be.
1: Musically speaking, I, yes. I I'm I'm really fascinated with Chuck Berry and Nat King Yeah.
0: It's absolutely a terrible feeling when your heroes turn out to be shitty. It's mm-hmm. like it's just the worst feeling. You're like, wait, you inspired me, and now, what is this? Um, yeah. What have you read lately uh, that you would recommend to people?
1: What have I read lately that I would recommend to people. You know, we we um, we started getting the, uh, the paper Sunday paper delivered to us. Mm-hmm. And I- Because I found it hard, maybe in like uh, pre-June, I was finding it pretty easy to escape, but I I don't really, I'm not like seeking out escapism uh, with like what I'm reading right now. So I've been reading a lot of news, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's just like been taking up a lot of my reading time. I'm currently reading The Intuitionist by Colton Whitehead, which I really like. Uh, He's a great writer. I didn't read it too recently, but I would definitely recommend people read The Wretched of the Earth by Frantz Fanon. Okay. He, you know, what we're going through, uh, the political and social situation that we're in, he, like, he, you know, diagnosed it to a T all the way back in 1960, I think, or was it 60 or something like that in the Algerian revolution. And he talks about the col- the coloni- the colonized and the colonizers. And his words are uh, pretty much hit the nail on the head for me in terms of, you know, what we need to do and, or just diagnosing the socio-political landscape.
0: Yeah, that's uh good answers. I, I, unfortunately, I just not a, I read a lot when I was a child and then just kind of got away from it and, and start, you know, I read stuff on if there's an article or something like that, that I like, I'll, I'll dive into those, but. I just haven't been a big reader of books in a, in a long time. Maybe I should change that. But uh, I think the last book I read is sitting on my shelf. It's Requiem for a Dream, but it's, that's an incredibly hard book to read. Mm. There's, no, uh, there's no like quotations or, or anything like that. So when people are talking, you just have to kind of it figure, it, figure it out, yeah.
1: Um, what yeah, have you been- Cormac, Cormac McCarthy's kind of like that too. The first time I read oh. the Cormac McCarthy book, it was difficult to follow like dialogue I read uh, Child of God, and I didn't really know what was going on, but then I read another one of his books, and I was like, okay, once you get into the rhythm, I used to, like, with reading books, I used to, like, finish one book by an author, and I'd be like, okay, I have to go somewhere else, you know, Mm -hmm. and I didn't go to college, and I sort of just had this, like, I need to, I need to get all these, um, I need to get all the, I need to make my way through all the classic writers, at least reading one of their books but that's wrong actually i think i think you should find somebody that you're into and just stay with them you know for a while i'm really enjoying this you know colson whitehead book i i think i might read his new book after this nickel boys but uh yeah find, getting into someone's voice and figuring out how their you know their language works is uh is i i'm more and more feeling like that's the way to do it
0: yeah uh, what have you been listening to lately?
1: You, that's where I have been escaping a little bit. Well, yeah. my friend Namdi just came out with a record last Friday that is amazing. Do you know Namdi?
0: Is that the is that the hip hop record you've been sharing a lot?
1: Yeah, and he actually played drums for Ohm when they played at Record Bar. Oh really? Cool. Yeah. Uh it's I, I and it's like it's not a I, I wouldn't call it a hip hop record. It's like it's Namdi is his own thing man okay. he is, like he is truly his own thing. I think he's like people will probably, as he does more and more and gets more and more like status uh probably make some Franks and Appa connections personally i think hmm. I, I, I don't really uh I, I don't really like frank Appa's music
0: yeah I'm not it's think, it's weird
1: yeah it's weird uh, and there's a lack of like um uh, earnestness or intention to it that I can't get into Namdi to me really has like great intention something to say, you know uh which I love, but he'll he'll like he'll like you know have this crazy cacophony going on while he's telling you something that he really thinking about. So his records okay. are great. Namdi n n a m d i i has an umlaut on it. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but I think on like streaming platforms it does. Okay. And then um I've been escaping a lot to early Beatles. Early Beatles. Yeah. Uh
0: like like the Twist and Shout, like early Beatles or or when they're covering a bunch of blues songs or
1: like uh like basically post please please me pre help okay gotcha so beatles for sale hard days night and with the beatles those three albums i've i've just been learning it a lot i've been learning a lot of george harrison guitar parts from those records those records are amazing amazing uh john lennon's songwriting there is really i was learning that tune if i fell which is just such a, and I'm also trying to learn, get better at singing lower harmonies. You know, when you sing harmony, people immediately like jump a third above whatever the melody is, because it's really easy to find. But John Lennon, because Paul McCartney always sang higher than John, he would always do these low melodies, low harmonies that did not follow like Paul's melody at all. And, So I've just been trying to learn those a little bit because when I sing with my sister, Seema, she's always trying to teach me like these lower harmonies that are really strange that I can't ever figure out because she's kind of coming from a really traditional background. So I'm like trying to learn how to sing lower harmony a little bit and he's great at it. So there's so much I love from that era and also just makes me feel better. To listen to
0: that oh man yeah the, the healing power of music is incredible and it's it's a it's a big reason why i haven't done my podcast since march is just because i'm not around the inspiration all the time you know mm-hmm. i'm not around the live music i'm not around other creatives constantly to where they inspire you to do things but luckily i've, I've gotten out of that funk so mm-hmm. i'm i'm doing much better now yeah
1: good deal. by the um, way next nice uh, poster
0: behind oh this. thank you that's like the best the best poster we've ever gotten at record bar where they're like, this is the poster for the show. And I was like, Holy shit. Yeah.
1: I wanted to go to that show. I was out of town. I was really bummed to miss it.
0: It sold out and I was constantly
1: getting messages about,
0: uh, can you get me in? Can you get me? It's like, no. Yeah.
1: I I had a friend who was able to get me in.
0: There you go. (laughs) That's the way to do it. If you can, if you have the connection, just, just keep doing that. As far as me, I, I listened to, well, I've been listening to a lot of kids these days, The Past Day and Marrow. but I've also been listening to 2050 by Mega Rand and Young RJ from Slum Village. It's a very good song. Um, I also listened to uh, the new West Side Gun mixtape because uh, the local producer, uh, Conductor Williams, is featured on it a couple of times. So I, I, uh, I checked those tracks out. Have you seen anything good lately that you would recommend? Uh, it can be film or TV.
1: Well, being a kid that grew up in Chicago in the nineties, early Beatles makes me feel really good and then watching nineties Bulls stuff makes me feel really oh, good. Oh yeah. Last dance was like really hit the nostalgia bone for me. Um, that was pretty fun to watch. It was so great. I don't like, think they get like, any more hype than they've already gotten. So no. <laughs> but to be perfectly honest, I was like I was like giddy. Mouthing along to like press conferences that I'd already scene or something along I mean that's just like nothing really brings me back to my childhood than nineties bulls so
0: yeah um doesn't think they just did an incredible job with that it was uh it was fun to rewatch. I remember still being at like a friend's house, spending the night at their house and he had fallen asleep and I was flipping through the channels and I flipped to I believe it was when Jordan beat uh the the Sonics um that year. Uh, Mm. I can't remember exactly which year that was so they'd be yeah they'd be Kerry Payton and Sean Kemp and all those guys Um, and just watching the end of it and watching them all hugging each other I still that's like a vivid memory in my in my head
1: Mm -hmm. the only thing I wanted to say about that was people were kind of criticizing that you know Jordan had as much power over the presentation of it as he did which I understand I think some of the players were upset with how they're represented like Horace Grant or something like that yeah I was also thinking like man people have been telling Jordan's story without him for like 35 years. Right. You know. So there's a part of me that respects like this guy who's like I've got I I want to attempt to tell my story as, you know, clearly insane and competitive and spiteful as he has shown himself to be. Yeah. I respect that he kind of wanted to tell his side of the story and you have to take it with a grain of salt in that regard, but I, I'm, I'm okay with him being like, I want to tell it because I mean, the guy just had so much media scrutiny for the last 35 years.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and he could, he could, he, he could have left out a lot, like,
1: like people, you know, I, I don't know with his father's passing. Like, anyway. There, right. Was, yeah. Was, that was, was comfortable with the fact that, he wanted to tell it his way, even though I think he probably made some shit up or something like that.
0: Right. Yeah. And it's um, like, what do you, like, he's not going to do the movie if, if you're like, well, we got to interview his ex-wife. He's like, I don't want my ex-wife in this documentary. Like there's, there's things he's going to leave out because it's his, he's telling the story, you know, it's not. um, And he left unflattering things in there. It's not like he just completely made himself out to be a saint. So
1: he made himself out to look like a fucking psycho a little bit <laughs> yeah he did yeah it was a, it was a little like just making up things in his head for like people who did nothing wrong but then he just like contrives this terrible thing they've done to him so that he can play harder
0: and fuel himself yeah play harder
1: sorry i shouldn't call him a psycho a <laughs> word at all really uh but i um a truly yeah, made him, he's, he's other otherworldly in that respect.
0: The thing, things I've kind of uh, watched lately is I watched uh, Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, now that that's back on Netflix, it's just as good as you remember it being uh, with new stories. And hopefully, hopefully they stick with that and give you updates. And hopefully by showing some of those stories, they can help solve some of those cases because some of them are just... Awful. A lot of them take place. The one, one's in Kansas, Gardner, Kansas, and the other one takes place in southern Missouri. So, two of the six episodes are in the area, which is very unfortunate.
1: Uh, I'm, I'm I'm a little. I, I get a little. I got a little creeped. We went camping in rural Missouri the other night, and I have to admit, I got a little city boy. Again. Little little creeped out. Little little scared. Yeah. Even yeah. though people like. I've seen more gunfire in front of my house uh, here than in my entire life growing up in Chicago,
0: which is crazy. Yeah. Kansas city hasn't been, uh, been, been great lately on, on that front, unfortunately.
1: But I was, I, I was definitely a little bit more freaked out to be by the emptiness, uh, of, yeah, I, I, th- I I'm, I'm trying to work, work on that a little bit. Uh, uh, it's just, when it gets dark out in the country, I immediately go to Axe Murderer. That's where my brain goes.
0: <laughs> you're not, you're, yeah, you, I, I get that. I also watched Hamilton, uh, which was great. Uh, great show. Nice. Very good music.
1: Yeah, I, we we don't watch a lot of TV. We watch TV that we don't enjoy, but just to have it on, yeah. But I don't really feel like mentioning that. Yeah. There's definitely some things we're watching that we're like, yeah, this isn't that good, but we're already season in. So let's
0: just keep going. It. Yeah. I just got to yeah. finish it out. Yeah. Um, I also watched a film for some um, preparation for a future podcast, uh, a film called All Creatures Here Below that was shot partially here in Kansas City, um, mm-hmm. written and starring David Desmalchen, uh, who's also from Kansas City. Um, He's doing a bunch of big, big movies now. Um, And I've been kind of catching up on some of the movies that he's done to be a little bit more knowledgeable about it. But um, last question here, and and you can answer for both Kansas City and Chicago. What is your favorite local eatery?
1: Well, KC, it's definitely um, Yasmin Cafe, which is in our neighborhood. It's right at Independence, Independence and the Paseo. Mm Mm-hmm uh, Somali food.
0: Ooh, that sounds delicious.
1: Uh, and actually my partner Tara has a, um, a secret menu item that's made it onto the menu now called the Tara special. Ooh, nice. It is spicy as all fuck. So no, enter at your own risk. We like spicy here. So I
0: love spicy. It just, you know, it doesn't always sit well.
1: It's really spicy, really spicy. Um, but we love it, especially on a hot day. It's nice to go super spicy on a hot day. Because mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like that fruity, intense spice. It's not like slow. It's like it's like Serrano pepper type of spice. Anyway, okay. that's our favorite place. And then our, our favorite place to like go out in Casey was definitely the Rieger. Our friend Howard uh, is the uh, chef there. And um, they have some uh, we pretty much. Or, uh, Tara, uh, my partner, is a lifelong vegetarian, and they always have great pasta vegetarian options that she loves. And I had their smoked pork chop one time; that was the greatest pork chop I've ever had.
0: That sounds great. What about Chicago?
1: There's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot.
0: There is. I, there's. You can find some real good euros in Chicago. That's something I'm a big fan of. My family in St. Louis was uh, Greek, so okay. a lot of big Greek community in Chicago. But there's a lot of really great euros and stuff there.
1: I don't know. Pick a <laughs> pick a food.
0: <laughs> and they got it. Huh? Uh, uh, well, okay. Well, then we'll do uh, pizza. Are you pizza? are you the Sh- Chicago deep dish guy, or are you? Uh...
1: You know, I'm raised by a New Yorker from the Bronx, so I didn't have deep dish. It wasn't allowed in my house uh, growing up. I didn't have deep dish until I moved in with the Tweedies, actually.
0: Who, yeah, you're not, you, uh, I guess the New York uh, part of the family isn't uh, fond of having a casserole for pizza.
1: Not at all. Um, <laughs> although I, I do love Lou Malnati's deep dish now that Sue Miller, Jeff's wife, uh, gave it to me. But um, I'm personally, when it comes to pizza, I really think the Southwest side of Chicago is where it's at, which is not where anybody is going, but that's like where you get um, pub style where it's like cut into rectangles. Mm. And a lot of the places on the Southwest side, especially if you go down Ogden, like Ogden all the way almost to Cicero, a lot of them make their own homemade sausages. So I would say like Southwest side, Italian sausage pizza, There's about five of them on Ogden Avenue as you make your way to Cicero um, that are, they're pretty much all great. They're all just pubs with dank ass pizza.
0: (laughs) That sounds awesome. Well, I want to thank you for coming on and uh, spending some time here. This was a, a real fun conversation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Chris.
0: Thank you, man. Thank you for coming on.